Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening, if you would. Get your Bibles opened up to Luke, the 10th chapter. Luke, chapter 10. That's where my Bible's opened up to, and that is where it will be for uh, the majority of the lesson this evening. We will uh, jump out just a time or two, but we'll just keep coming right back to Luke, chapter 10. We're going to just work with the words of uh, Jesus for the most part tonight. Grateful to have the opportunity uh, once again here on Sunday to uh, be with God's people and as well to uh, spend some time in the Word. I hope that you've had a good afternoon. hope you've been able to maybe get some rest or to get out and enjoy the sunshine. But uh, we want to focus our minds and our attention right now for the next few minutes on the Bible. So let's get to it in Luke chapter 10. Read with me, if you will, in verse 25. In Luke chapter 10... And in verse 25, we're told that, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test and said, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Verse 27, he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Well, who is my neighbor? Now, we have noticed, I don't know if you've noticed, but I know that I certainly have, in our world recently, there has been just a proliferation of the love thy neighbor phrase that we see quoted there in Luke chapter 10. And it's found in a number of different places in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In recent months, that phrase, loving your neighbor, has been used to advance some things about uh, things pertaining to the pandemic currently, some things pertaining to racism and the Black Lives Matter movement that's been going on. That phrase has been used to try to encourage people to be thoughtful of, of others, be thoughtful of others pertaining to their health, consider others as it pertains to race relations and those sorts of things. And I think there's certainly a place for all of that. But it does make me wonder, all of the folks who are speaking about love thy neighbor and are so quick to throw that out, it makes me wonder, do they really even know where that came from? Do they have any understanding of this interaction here in Luke chapter 10 that provides the impetus for Jesus telling what I'm going to call this evening the original Love Thy Neighbor story. I wonder how many folks really know much about this interaction and about what Jesus is really going for in the parable that follows. Of course, you know the parable that follows, don't you? It is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And yet, as familiar as maybe we are, and maybe even as familiar as lots of the world think that they are with that parable, I do wonder, and I am afraid, that maybe we have missed what is being said in that parable. Did Jesus tell the story of the Good Samaritan so that 2,000 years down the road, people would have something to be able to put on signs and on the internet and be able to put hashtags on Twitter to love thy neighbor in order to espouse various movements? I'm not really sure that that's purely what Jesus had in mind. But what exactly did Jesus have in mind? What was he going for? Was he going for something more? And what exactly does it mean to be a Good Samaritan. You know, in our day and time, that's kind of considered a badge of honor. There's actually an RV club that if you do certain good deeds, they'll give you a big sticker to put on the back of your trailer that says, The Good Sam Club. Why, being a good Samaritan today is something to brag about. 
You should know that in Jesus' day, it wasn't anything to brag about. In Jesus' day, the Jews hated the Samaritans. If you had said to someone in Jesus' audience, Hey, do you know what a good Samaritan is? They would have said immediately, Oh yeah, the only kind of good Samaritan is a dead Samaritan. And I wonder sometimes, I wonder if the way that we think about Samaritans might possibly change the way that we read this parable and whether we take from it everything that we need to. Because just like so many of the parables that Jesus told, this story challenges the readers and the listeners of it in a dramatic way as we think about what it really means to love our neighbor. And so this evening, I do want us to study the parable of the Good Samaritan. I want us to understand the teaching of this parable But I want to be very clear tonight. I don't just want you and I to understand it. I want us to live this parable. I want us to be ready to appropriate the truth that Jesus conveys into our own lives. Let's just read the parable together. I've talked about it. Let's actually read about it. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus then says in verse 32, Luke 10 verse 32... Jesus replied, excuse me, verse 30, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. I want you to just please stand for a moment in Jesus' original audience as they are hearing this story. This is a horrible thing that has happened to this man, but when the priest comes, we all know, priests are good people. Priests are great people. Priests are kind of like the preachers in Jesus' day. Surely this priest is going to stop and he's going to help. And, and he doesn't. He just walks on by. Well, look at here. Here's a Levite. A Levite, surely a Levite is going to help. The Levites are the men who were not of the priestly family, but they did attend at the temple. The Levites were very good men. This guy, surely, he's going to help, right? He doesn't help either. But a Samaritan, Jesus says. A Samaritan, verse 33. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now Jesus asked the question to the lawyer who began this whole conversation, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? You know, the text doesn't tell us the tone of his voice. You can't decide exactly what his attitude was from the black and white ink as we have it recorded here. But I think you and I can probably imagine how this man responded to Jesus' question. He probably very begrudgingly said, Ah, I guess it was that Samaritan. Jesus said in verse 37, You go, you do likewise. Now, what does all of that mean? How do you and I work with all of that? I'm certainly not exaggerating at all when I tell you 
that there was tremendous racial tension between Jews and Gentiles, specifically between Jews and Samaritans. The Jews, by the time of the New Testament, were absolutely convinced that since God loved them so much, well, well, that must mean that God hates everybody else. And since the Samaritans were a mixed race of people, well, that just made the hatred between those two groups all the more intense. This was, think about some of the racial conflict that exists in our country right now, this is intense, what we're reading about here. How surprising is it then, shocking even, that a Samaritan ends up being the hero in this story. So what do we make of that? What do we make of this Samaritan and all of the other all the other parts of the story? Lots of things have been done with this parable throughout history. Augustine wrote that this parable was actually an allegory. He said that in this allegory, the wounded man stood for Adam. Jerusalem was the heavenly city from which he fell. The thieves are the devil who deprive Adam of his immortality. The priest and the Levite represent the Old Testament who could save no one. The Samaritan is Jesus who forgives sin. The inn is the church and the innkeeper is the Apostle Paul. That's a dandy, ain't it? That's really, I feel like I've sat in a Bible class of that guy before. I don't know. Got to make something out of everything in the text. I'm not really sure that we want to do that with this parable. I think about in particular with Jesus being the Samaritan, kind of got a problem there because Jesus was a Jew. So obviously working with the parable in that fashion, that's just really not going to be helpful. So what then can we do with this parable that will really and practically help us to understand and then do what Jesus is saying here? Well, this evening what I want to do is I want to set before you just three very simple but three essentials that this parable, I believe, teaches us without question about loving our neighbor. Three things that I'll tell you, first of all, are hard to live, but three things that Christians absolutely must be living. And that all starts just by saying that loving your neighbor always means that we're going to have a genuine concern for others. You know, what's the fundamental difference between the Samaritan and the two other guys? Well, well, it's not that the Samaritan just knows more Bible. He really understands what God's talking about when God talks about loving your neighbor. He just really gets it a whole lot better than those other two guys. Nope. Nope. Biblically, knowledgely speaking... Uh, The Samaritan probably can't even compare with that priest and that Levite. And it's not that the priest and the Levite, well, they're just so busy, but the Samaritan, well, he's just kind of on vacation. He's got a bunch of free time, a bunch of leisure time, and thought to himself, you know what, i got nothing better to do today, so uh, I think I'll just go around looking for random people who are lying in the ditch that I can assist. No, that's not what's going on here. What's the difference between the Samaritan and the other two? The difference is the Samaritan cares. He cares enough to act while the other two, the other two do not. Now, that may sound underwhelmingly simple, but it is so incredibly vital. The truth of the matter is, most people care only for, for who? For self. The big I. Myself. They only care for their own, their immediate relatives, their close friends, for people who maybe can do something for them. They've got time for those sorts of folks. 
But individuals who really can't help me, individuals who really are just going to be a bind on my time and be a burden to me, I ain't got time for you. I don't know why you would expect that I would ever do anything to assist you. You're not of any value to me. In fact, hold your place here in Luke chapter 10. Would you look in Matthew chapter 5? In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus actually talks about this very attitude. In Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not impressed by folks who have that kind of self-centered approach to life. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this in verse 46. In Matthew 5 and in verse 46, He says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, well, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You see, that attitude of just looking out for self, that's not brand new, is it? But it is the attitude that so many people have today, that if you can assist me, if you can do something for my cause, well, then you know what? I might just take an interest in you. But a man who's lying in a ditch, naked, bleeding, dying, eh, what can he do for me? And so why should I put my life on hold in order to help him? That's not caring for people. That's not having a concern for others. That's only having a concern for self. You know, you contrast that with the life of Jesus. What was Jesus' life all about? Jesus' life was all about taking an interest in other people. You just read in the Gospels. We've noticed this on Wednesday nights in our Mark study, haven't we? How many times Jesus is making time to talk with and to sit down with and to spend time with people that everybody else thought, ah, why waste time on them? Who cares about them? Everybody from a Samaritan woman at a well who was living in adultery to the short little guy who worked for the IRS who was a thief and a cheat to ten guys who were afflicted with a horrible disease, the disease of leprosy, all the way down to the people who were at the very bottom of society's totem pole, children. Jesus had concern for all of those people when nobody else would. Over and over again, Jesus was making time for other people. Even when they couldn't do anything for Him, Jesus gave without expecting anything in return. And is that not the real test of love? You know, I think sometimes we run off that expression, love thy neighbor, love your neighbor, and I'm not really sure folks have actually thought about what's the verb in that? Love. What exactly does that mean to love your neighbor? The real test of love is what you do for people who can do nothing for you. The beginning of loving our neighbor, the beginning of being the good Samaritan, is to mirror in our lives that kind of care and concern for other folks. It is to open our eyes and to see that every person is somebody that God loves. It is someone that God made. It is somebody who's going to spend an eternity somewhere, either with the Lord or without the Lord. And Oh, how we need to be able to see others with those sets of eyes. Can I just ask you? When you look at other people, what exactly do you see? When you see a dirty, homeless person, hungry, begging for money, begging for change. What do you see? You see somebody to be avoided? Somebody to, whoa, I'm heading in this direction. I don't want to talk to that guy. What do you see when maybe you see an old person who's driving way too slow in the fast lane? Or who's taking way too long in the checkout line at Walmart? 
What do you see when you see someone whose skin color is different than yours? Someone who comes from a different socioeconomic background. Somebody who has a different educational status. What do you see? It is time for the followers of Jesus to realize that that famous passage in John 3 verse 16 about for God so loved the world, that does not mean that God sent His Son here to divide the world into two distinct classes of people. The heaven-bound haves and the hell-bound have-nots. And all of us over here in group A, we're going to look down our noses at them over here in group B. No, that is not why Jesus came. Those who would follow Jesus, those who would be His disciples, we're going to be the ones who are going to show and demonstrate love for all people. We're going to love our neighbor because that's exactly what Jesus says this is all about. Which means that secondly, if we are going to love our neighbor and do that in the way that Jesus wants that to be done, then what that means secondly is that means we're going to have to be willing to take some risks. Would you look again there in Luke chapter 10? Focus in on verse 33. In verse 33, I think that will help us to start to understand what it means by taking risks. Look in verse 33 again where the text says, Luke 10 verse 33, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, He came to where that man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. That word compassion literally means to be a with-feeler. Don't you love that? To be a with-feeler to somebody else. That is, if you're hurting and I have compassion, then I'm going to hurt too. If you are crying and I have compassion then I'm going to be crying too. That is what compassion is all about. It means a whole lot more than just looking. You understand that? The other two guys in the parable, they looked. They saw the man lying in the ditch needing some help, but but they didn't do anything, did they? They did not truly feel with that man. They did not have compassion. And so as you put yourself then in the shoes of that Samaritan, the guy who did feel with, The question is, what are you going to do now that you have some compassion working in you? You see the guy, you're hurting for the fellow lying there, you care about his well-being, and so you are ready to make yourself a part of this situation, but this situation is not safe. You should understand that the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is 17 miles. Now, that doesn't seem very far in our day and age of high-tech you know, automobiles and those sorts of things. Why, 17 miles, that's just 17 minutes. Or maybe as fast as some of us drive, that's just like eight and a half minutes. I can do that, no problem. But in this particular setting, there weren't some of the guys back there that are laughing because I, I think they know they do that. But in this particular setting, you didn't have cars. You weren't driving from Jerusalem to Jericho. You were walking. And it was an arduous walk. We are talking about a walk that started some 2,300 feet above sea level, all the way down to the Dead Sea Plains that are about 1,300 feet below sea level. Anytime you go from 2,300 feet above sea level to 1,300 feet below sea level in just 17 miles, what's that going to look like? It's going to look like that. It's going to be pretty steep. And that means it's going to be full of all kinds of switchbacks. Those are some pictures, actually, of of the the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
It would be full of all kinds of switchbacks and turns and gullies and caves and ravines and drop-offs all along the way. It was a dangerous road and it was made even more dangerous because all those ravines and gullies and caves, they were perfect places for thieves to hide. And the kind of thing that Jesus talks about in the story that happened to this man, it happened in real life all the time. The road between Jericho and Jerusalem was affectionately referred to as the bloody way. And that's because people got held up there all the time, got ambushed, got bushwhacked. And so even stopping for a moment is putting this Samaritan's life in danger. Because this could be a setup, couldn't it? The guy could just be playing possum there in the ditch. Maybe he's just pretending to be hurt. Maybe he's just, you know, kind of ripped his shirt up a little bit to make it look like he's been beat up. Maybe he's just smeared ketchup all over his face to make it look like he's got blood everywhere. But then the moment that the Samaritan gets stopped and he gets off of his horse and he bends down to help him and he realizes that, hey, there's nobody else around, aha, going to get him, going to get him, going to take everything from this Samaritan who was so gullible to fall for this trap. You see, this is a big risk for this Samaritan to stop and to help. Now, of course, this is where we just start to have some very obvious questions, don't we? This is where when we see maybe the stranded motorist on the side of the road and they've got a flat tire or they're standing outside of their car and they're trying to wave people down, we start to wonder, well, does being a good Samaritan mean that I'm supposed to stop even though I really don't want to stop because I'm afraid this might be a stick-up? I'm afraid that I might get robbed? What exactly are we talking about here? Didn't Jesus know that there are risks in loving people? Didn't Jesus understand all of that? Didn't He get that there's a huge risk in showing our concern for other folks? And the answer to that is, absolutely Jesus understood that. In fact, I think Jesus put the Samaritan at risk in the story intentionally. Because real love always involves risk. Every time without fail. Gentlemen, let me just ask you, do you remember when you started dating? And I'm talking to the guys who would be around my age or maybe even a little bit older because I'm not talking about during the days today where you send a DM to that girl that you're interested in or you send her a text message. No, I'm talking about the days when you had to pick up a telephone and you had to actually call the girl. Do you remember just that hit in your stomach when you picked up that phone and you started to dial those seven digits and the concern about what the response was going to be on the other line when you asked that young lady out on a date. Mmm, I remember that. I remember what that was like. There's the chance that when you ask her to go out on Friday night to the movies, there's the chance she might say something really, really sweet like, I would love to do that. I'd love to go out with you. But you know what? There's also the chance that she might say, I wouldn't go out with you if you were the last man on earth, and then hang up the phone. That's a tough ordeal to have to go through, isn't it? And in fact, even if you do start dating that young lady, eventually a day comes where you look that young lady in the eye and you muster up your courage and you say, I like you. And then you wait a little while longer and finally you say, I really like you. And then finally you get all the way over the hump and you just blurt it out. You say, I love you. And you hold your breath, don't you? 
Because there's the chance. She might say, and I love you. But there's also the chance that she might say, I really like you. You're a good friend. Ugh, that one's bad. Ladies, you have no hard, idea how hard that is. Men, we kind of bear the, the brunt of all of that. And you know what? It doesn't even get any easier from there. Because then after you date that girl for a while, and you do realize that she's the one, and you love her, and she loves you, and you realize, oh man, this is it. This is going to be the one. A day finally comes when you're fumbling through your pockets, or fumbling through your shirt, and you're looking for that box that's got a ring in it, and you then hold it out and you say, would you? Would you marry me? And she may say, yes, I will, with tears in her eyes. But there is also a chance that she will say, I told you, I just want to be friends. Oh, now that is a heartbreaker. And you know what? It doesn't even stop there. Because let's say that you do get married to that young lady. And you have some kids. And what do you do with your kids? You pour your life. You pour your heart into your children to give them everything that they truly need. And along the way, you even give them some stuff that they want. You try to help them to grow physically. You try to give them an education mentally. Most of all, you try to help them to develop spiritually. But then a day comes when that sweet little baby turns in to a rebellious teenager. And they then look you in the face and they say to you, I hate you. I don't want to live here anymore. I can't wait till I'm old enough to get out of here and live on my own and never come back. And your heart is just left stomped all over the floor. You know what? That's how love is. There are no guarantees. It is always going to be risky. And you know what? God knew that. God knew that. Because a long, long time before there were ever Samaritans or priests or Levites or thieves or Rhodes, God put Adam and Eve in the garden of paradise. And He said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to let you decide. You can choose to serve me and obey me, or you can choose not to do that. I give you free choice because I love you, and my hope is is that you will love me back. And you know what Adam and Eve said? Adam and Eve said, no, we will not. And sin entered into this world. God knows personally that love takes risk. Because ultimately, when the fullness of time had come, God sent His Son to this world. He sent His Son for us. He sent His Son risking rejection. Rejection that would take on the shape of a wooden cross. Rejection that would drive a crown of thorns into His brow and nails into His hands and His feet. God was unwilling to look down at sinful human beings just groping their way through the darkness and just do nothing. God was not willing to do what the priest and the Levite did and just kind of walk on by and just totally unchanged by that. And so even though it was hazardous, even though it was painful, Even though it was incredibly dangerous, God gave His Son. And the Samaritan man mirrors that in his life. Because he is unable to turn away from one who is hurting and who is dying. And I'm saying to you this evening, Jesus is saying to you this evening, that if we truly love our neighbor, then we are going to have to take some risks. We're just going to have to. Because compassion and love demands 
risk. When you invite somebody to come to church, when you try to engage in a spiritual conversation with somebody, there's a risk there, isn't there? There's a risk because a lot of people today, they don't want to come to church. And they don't want to talk about the Bible. And they're not interested in spiritual things. And there's the potential that if you just open your mouth and even just say those words, that may end up putting a real strain on that friendship. They may not even want to be your friend at all anymore. Or you know what? You go to a brother or a sister in Christ who may be showing some signs of weakness, some signs of slipping. And you go to them and you put your arm around them and as lovingly as you possibly can say, you say, hey, can I talk to you? There's some things in your life that, that, that I've noticed. I don't know if you've noticed, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I want to talk to you about these things because I'm concerned about you, brother. I'm worried about you, sister. You know, I'm not seeing you at church as much anymore. Or you don't seem to have the same zeal that once upon a time you did have. What exactly is going on? You know what that'll get you? That'll get you a big fat mind your own business sometimes. That'll get you a, hey, who do you think you are, Mr. or Mrs. Self-Righteous? That's what that'll get you. Or if you do go to somebody, and you do try to engage in a spiritual conversation, or try to hand them a sermon CD, or hey, here's a track to read, you know what that's going to get you a lot of times? That's going to get you a big old, leave me alone. You bunch of intolerant Church of Christers, you bunch of judgmental so-and-sos, you think you're so right. You see, it'll be risky, won't it? And it'll be risky, moms and dads, to love your children the way that God wants you to love your children. To raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. To be strong enough to say no and to make it stick. To not be worried about being your children's best buddy, but instead being their parent. Your kids may get angry at you. That's a possibility. Other people, the neighbors, people in the PTA, they may look at you and think you're absolutely crazy for raising your children the way that you do. It's a risky, risky deal. But really loving, really loving others, it is dangerous and it is risky. There's no clean, sanitized, easy, 60-second quick way to love someone. Loving somebody means we're going to have to Roll up our sleeves from time to time. And we're going to have to climb right into their lives. And we're going to have to get involved in their mess. And we may even have to try to help lift them up out of that mess. And sometimes that will be very hard to do. Sometimes, in fact, that person will start pushing back. I don't want your help. You Get away from me. Who do you think you are? Leave me alone. But that's what it means to love. The question is, do we love enough? To take those risks. I am certain, when I think about the Samaritan man, I'm certain that he looked around to see if there were any visible signs of danger. To look around and see if maybe this was a trap. See if this was going to be a hold-up. He seems to me to be a wise and prudent man. But in the end, there was still a chance. It was still dangerous. Because when you love, it's always risky. Jesus says loving your neighbor means you're going to take those risks. And that means no less for you and I today than it meant for that lawyer who asked the question. Which brings me to the end of this final idea this evening. And that is when we are loving our neighbor, when we have concern for others and we're willing to then step out and take a risk, then what that means is, is that means we're going to be willing to do what we can with what we have right where we are. 
And I really think that this is the most difficult part of the parable. You know, this parable is challenging us to change our world. Not the whole world. I think Jesus understands that very few of us will ever be in a place or a position where we can affect global change on a big grand scale. And that's not what the parable is about. The parable is about changing your world, your sphere of influence. Jesus shows us that where you are in a given moment at time, at a certain place in history, that it can be of vital importance and it can make a huge difference. If we'll care we'll see, if we'll feel and have compassion, if we'll risk, and then if we'll do what we can, what we have, right where we are. That's part of changing my world, being able to operate with what I have at my disposal. You know, one of the things that I really love about this parable is just how restrained Jesus is as He's telling it. Jesus does not say that the Samaritan man performed brain surgery on the guy laying in the ditch and transfused him with his own blood right there on the spot. Doesn't do that. Jesus does not say that the Samaritan was on and traveling with one of those, you know, new, techie, advanced uh, EMT camels that's just fully equipped with all the latest medical gear to be able to help people on the fly. It's not what Jesus says. Jesus says he was just a Samaritan. Not exactly our idea of a superhero. He's just a Samaritan who happens to have some oil, some water he can pour on the man's wounds. He happens to maybe have a shirt that he can tear and rip and be able to turn that into some bandages. He's got an animal. He's able to use that to help transport the man safely to a safe place. And maybe most painfully, verse 35, we note that he has a little bit of money. A denarii is a day's wage. You just stop and think about what you make in one day. Double it, because it says he gave two denarii. And you stop and think about giving away that kind of money to help a complete stranger. This Samaritan guy does not have all the talent or resources in the world. He probably wished he could have done a whole lot more. But he does have some ability. And he can do some things. And the key is jumps right in there, and he gets started. This guy realized, I'm not everywhere, but I am somewhere. I can't do everything, but I can do something, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to do something right here, right now. You see a great real-life demonstration of that in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 3, would you hold your place in Luke again? Look in Acts 3. Notice this when we were doing the chapter chat several weeks ago. In Acts 3, Peter and John, they come across this lame man who is begging for money day after day. He's laid outside the temple gate. And day after day, he comes. people come and they're passing by. And he just begs and hopes that somebody will give him something, something that will be able to help him. Well, look at what Peter says. In Acts chapter 3, look in verse 6. In Acts chapter 3... And in verse 6, but Peter said to the man, I have no silver, I don't have any gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and he began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Peter says, hey buddy, I'm sorry, I don't have any money. I can't buy you a house to live in. 
I can't put new clothes on your back. I'm probably not going to be able to cook you a really nice meal. But what I do have is I have the ability, given by God, to be able to make you walk again. And so, what I do have, I'm going to give it to you. Right here, right now. Nothing more, nothing less. And that's exactly what it means to love our neighbor. I'm going to do what I can to help with the ability that I do have. And I'm going to start doing that right now. Who here, or who maybe even watching the live stream at home, who can't find something to do that will help and benefit someone else? We're going to get outside of ourselves, and I'm going to look for others and opportunities to help others. Who here can't do something? Come on, all of us can do something. If we'll open up our eyes, if we'll take the time, if we'll have the kind of compassion, the kind of feeling where I'm feeling with someone, where I can help somebody and start doing that right now. What I am afraid of is that all too often, we're just so caught up in ourselves. We're so consumed with our world and what's going on in my life. And I got a big vacation that I got planned. And I'm doing this and we're running over here and I got all these other things going on. And I'm not concerned. I'm not even thinking about other folks. I'm afraid that sometimes we're so caught up that we can't even notice the opportunities to do what the Samaritan did. Sometimes we're kind of like the lady. I heard a story once about the lady who came up on an accident scene. And it was just all terrible, just cars were just all smashed together. People were all cut up, blood was everywhere. And the next day she was telling her friend about this horrible accident scene that she had come upon. And she said, oh, it was terrible. Windshields were broken, airbags were deployed, glass was everywhere, people were hurt, there was blood all over. It was just the most terrible scene you ever saw. And the friend said, oh my, what did you do? And the lady said, oh... I was so glad that I had first aid training. I knew to sit down on the ground and put my head between my knees and breathe deeply. Come on. Come on. Yet isn't that oftentimes how we treat Christianity? That Christianity is all about teaching me how to cope with a big bad world. So I see all this stuff that's going on. Yeah, there's a lot of things that are bad going on. A lot of people who could use a lot of help in this world. But I'm so involved in me that what I do is I just sit down and I just take care of myself. I take care of my own, my kids, my close friends, and well, everybody else, too bad for you. That'll never fly. That'll never work. That doesn't fit with Luke chapter 10. Because in Luke chapter 10, we've got somebody who cares about other people, who takes risks to help other people, and he's willing to do what he can with what he has Right where he's at. Sometimes I think that maybe we have failed to really love our neighbors because what we're doing is we're just waiting for somebody else to come along who we think can do it so much better than we could. We failed to give first aid because we're waiting for maybe a more elegant solution. And I'm afraid most importantly that there have been times that we have failed, I know that I have failed, to administer spiritual CPR because we were waiting for somebody else, maybe a preacher, or if we're in a congregation that's got elders, let the elders take care of that. Don't let somebody else show up with an ambulance and they'll help that person. And as a result, there are people who are in real spiritual trouble, who have bled to death and died because a whole bunch of Christians stood around and said, somebody needs to help that guy. Somebody ought to do something for that lady. 
know what the Good Samaritan says? The Good Samaritan says, I'm somebody. I'm somebody. And you know what Jesus says? You go and do likewise. Jesus is challenging us in a powerful way to go and find somebody that we can help, particularly in a spiritual way, and truly be a neighbor to them. Can we pray about that? Would you pray with me, please? Our dear gracious God, we come before you now thanking you so much for your word, for the power of it. Thankful so much for your son Jesus who spoke those words so long ago. Father, we come confessing that we are challenged by this parable, and we do pray that you would help us to take to heart what Jesus has taught us about truly loving our neighbor. Father, we ask that you would open up our eyes, help us to see the opportunities that are before us every single day. We pray that you would grant us the the courage and the desire to roll up our sleeves and to do what we can to serve others. Lord, forgive us for the times when we're self-centered and we're only thinking of ourselves, those occasions when we have failed to have real compassion on those who need our help. Help us, Father, so that we can be more like your Son. We thank you and we praise you for the selfless love that Jesus demonstrated by giving his life so that we could be saved. It is in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.